Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. Today we'll be discussing a little bit surrounding Collector's Week, the Keeping It Casual article, and the Pro Tour. Felix, how are you today? Well, I'm over 4,000 kilometers away from you today. I'm in the beautiful city of Moncton, New Brunswick, which is very far away from our hometown of Calgary, Alberta. But technology is amazing, and we can still have a conversation and record this podcast today. So really, I am doing great. How are you, Shay? I'm doing good. I got a little bit of family in town visiting while they're here and just having a casual couple of days. So it's pretty, pretty nice here. What are we going to be discussing today? Yeah, so we're just going to be going through the last couple weeks worth of articles on the Flesh and Blood website. They've published quite a few that are quite relevant to what we like to discuss on this podcast. So let's spin up the time machine and head back to Collector's Week to start us up. And there's an article there called Collect What You Love that I'll link in the description below. But this one I really liked. And Shay, I just have to ask you because, well, as we know, neither of us have a TCG background. Was Flesh and Blood, I mean, first of all, do you collect now? And did you collect anything beforehand? I do collect Flesh and Blood now. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny because prior to playing a TCG like Flesh and Blood, I thought collecting was ridiculous. It didn't really make sense to me. Why would you mm -hmm. spend money on this? And then once you do, when do you let go of your acquisitions? How long do you wait? And why do you let go of those things? Uh, what purposes do they serve? And so I didn't really understand it. And I still don't know if I totally understand it, but I do collect. And I actually enjoy it now having pieces that are rare or meaningful to me through winning um, competitions. What about you, Felix? Do you collect? What are your thoughts around it? Yeah, I think quite similar to you. I definitely do not collect for financial value. To be very honest, anything that I collect that has financial value stresses me out. I'm always thinking, what if my basement floods? Can I claim it on insurance? What am I going to say to the insurance adjuster when I start claiming certain pieces of cardboard are worth a lot of money? I I get a little bit of anxiety just thinking about that right away, but just like you, I do enjoy collecting things that have sentimental value to me, that, for example, if it's uh, something I won at a tournament or something that I acquired from someone special at a specific place or time, and when I look at that, it reminds me of that specific place or time or accomplishment, that's the kind of thing that I, I really love collecting. It, it reminds me of even maybe something like a, a trophy from your high school sports team or, or something like that. To me, that's, that's what's special. Um, and I think that article, Collect What You Love, goes into that pretty well. And I definitely recommend anyone give, give that a read. Um, I guess, what's your most treasured collectible, Shay? That's kind of tough to assess um i like some of the simple things um in one of my binders i have all of the cold foil uh promo equipment and weapons and i have them just displayed across two pages because currently i think there's um 16 of them is it mm -hmm. yeah and it, i think it looks good even though it's not you know a monetarily high value page I, it looks nice um but i guess the the gold foils that I acquire are probably my most prized possessions because there was a lot of hard work that went into acquiring those and they feel oh, really yes. rewarding to have those. Um, and that 
once I got my first one, that's the first time that I really looked into grading because I, again, not being a collector, grading didn't mean a lot to me. And I was like, well, what, what card would I spend 50 plus dollars on to send off to another country to have somebody grade it and then have it come back? And so, I, again, I'm starting to learn more about why these, th why these things are treasured as, as the way they are. What do you think? Yeah, that's, that's a really great point, and we're certainly going to touch on grading in a second here, but personally, my most favorite card that I collect, or that I, that I have, is probably my cold foil adult Oldham. Now, this was given out as a participation prize at the first Canadian Nationals, um, so I, I was very happy to get that. Um, it's just the... the the card that I run now um, as part of my, my main CC deck, so long as he is legal, which looks like it might not be for too much longer. A very short period of time, yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure many people are, are not uh, sad about that. But regardless, it, it makes me happy. It reminds me of the time that we spent, uh, both you and I and several others from Calgary, uh, particularly going to that first Canadian Nationals, and it was a great experience with those people. So when I, I look at that card, I think about where I got it and just the great memories that I, I had at that event where I acquired it, and of course all the other events where I've played with it as well. So so that's that's my most treasured card that, that I have, and I happily play with that still every, every time I, I play Oldham in CC, which is pretty frequently. I hide all of my bling. I don't know why. Um, I just like to present the most basic version of every copy that I can. Uh, keep keep the, the special stuff for myself. Yeah, and, and some people make a point of running the most cursed decks filled with white borders and, if they can get it, like the ugliest versions or dirty versions of cards. Some people really, really enjoy that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there was a, there was that <laughs> Levia player at pro tour right that used crayons and white bordered cards and had a titanium bauble sometimes you would just need to make that statement his levia had like um card cut out and glued to it or something like that i thought it was really I, interesting i don't know the details but hey that's that that gives you a bit of a unique flair as well i i respect that dude's a legend now so that's all that matters <laughs> yeah Let's let's talk about grading. You you touched on it a, a little bit. This is still something that's quite arcane to me. Let's say as a, a new TCG uh, player. Let's say, do you do you have a lot of graded cards? No, um, I've only ever had two cards graded, and they were both gold foils. Hmm. But that's it. Uh, I find I personally don't have like space to display them in my uh, where I live. Uh, so I can't put them anywhere uh, to be proud of them. And then I also find the slabs that they come in are very awkward to play with and take up a lot of space on a play mat. So I'm not super huge into it, but I, I get trying to preserve the quality of uh, cards. They don't even have to be high value. They might even be high sentimental to people. So I, I think I understand why you would have cards graded. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's It's new to me. I don't have too many graded cards i i have one which is another card that's very special to me the cold foil dorinthia promo that a bunch of us got at san jose again yep. reminds me of the time that we had there it was a great time and the event but besides that 
no. And I, I'd love to have some collectors or someone that's more experienced with uh, with cards on on this podcast eventually to, to maybe walk us through it a little bit more. One other thing that was published as part of Collectors Week was the print run update. And I just saw so much chatter about this uh, on the internet as I was browsing, as maybe I, I shouldn't do. But uh, does does something like the print run of a certain set interest you at all? Uh, not me, per se. Um, I, I don't know what the numbers mean. Like I can look at it and I can see that. There were 125,000 boxes of Mon 1 printed, and 82,000 of them went to North America, and 43 went to the rest of the world. But I don't really know what that means. Um, as a, I'm pro, We're primarily players, so we care about we are. access and availability of cards, especially Legendaries and Majestic, so that the playing field can be as level as possible. Um, so I think the print run update is definitely more for collectors than it is for players but it'll be interesting to see like I, the, the numbers i think need to be associated with something so great there's 125,000 boxes is that a lot it's that little i think it matters to how big the player base is at the time as to whether how important that number is yeah i really struggle with stuff like this just thinking about how ridiculous it would be if something like chess had we we have one million chess sets and that's it <laughs> and uh yeah and i i know there's a there's a big difference between tcgs and and chess but even something like the board game wingspan let's say and if we ever heard that there was two hundred thousand copies of wingspan certain edition ever printed would that move the needle and, and it's really that collectability and financial aspect of this hobby, again, that I, I'm in no way qualified to, to speak about. And I, I just continue to be quite, uh, quite amazed about how so many different types of people, like collectors, investors, players, all form this silly ecosystem that, that we all live in. And every day is a bit of an eye-opening experience to me. And it, it's established over, you know, 30 years now. At who is it? I, I, they're all, we know they're all valuable members of that ecosystem, the collectors, the players, uh, the stores, uh, for a game to survive and function. Because, again, it's a business at the end of the day, and it needs to make money. And if it's not making money, it won't be around for any of us to collect or play. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's a really good point. And we can move on to our next topic here which is the keeping it casual articles so there was one published to the main page and one published to the retailer page and this article really excited me because it really speaks to a lot of the core messages uh, of this podcast and what shay and i both believe in when it comes to what how this game is going to grow and how the vast majority of people are going to engage with this game. Shay, do you do you remember reading this article for the first time? <laughs> I, I do. It was a couple weeks ago. It was, you know, it was a nice, easy article to get into. Not too too long, uh, but a couple of points that you could easily get into if they interested you. The first one was a quick video by the devs on Outsider Sealed, which I think is a great piece of content for those people that are casual that 
want to either get into the game or learn a bit more about sealed without having to just put in the practice time you can get some insight from the people that made the game and have an idea on how you might want to draft going into an lgs for for open armory yeah sealed is such a great format for anyone that's experienced with games or card games or more complex games I, I wouldn't quite recommend it to someone that's brand new to games. Like something like the welcome deck format would be so much better. But man, Outsider Sealed is so good for teaching new players that may be used to something like Magic or, or a similar game. Because there, all the core combat tricks and combat math is there. And it's a great grindy format that really showcases all the strengths of the game, really. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The next piece in the article was the UPF with the professor. Did you get a chance to watch that video? I did. I am a big fan of the professor. He is a content creator for card games, primarily magic. And it's funny because I discovered his article around eight years ago when looking up sleeve choices for Netrunner. Uh, so it just goes to show how much reach he has as a content creator, even back then. Um, very famous for his wholesome attitude, which I, I love, and also just for his reviews of sleeves and binders and, and all this stuff. So I think this was a really great thing for Flesh and Blood that someone so famous with so much influence had a really entertaining video showcasing UPF and there was a lot of this rounds on me played which is a hilarious card when there's a Valda and there was a lot of UPF shenanigans um is this something that you've watched I haven't watched it yet um, I haven't been super interested in UPF unfortunately um looking for more support more people to pick it up um I only have a few decks that I have sort of I guess dedicated to at the ready and I like to have the best deck that I can put forward so kind of get lazy and I don't want to swap um, you know high value cards like CNC and this rounds on me in between decks on a daily basis so I haven't gotten into it but I do need to watch it because I do enjoy the professor like you said there's attitude in DM Armada it should it looks like a good video uh, speaking of UPF the next tidbit here in the article is James White um participating in a UPF event at Pro Tour Baltimore and playing as part of the event and again goes to show that Fab is is pushing UPF as a more casual multiplayer format to expand its reach and it's great the creator of the game quote getting down and dirty um I think it's it's great that that he himself is playing. I wonder what kind of deck he he ran. What would you I, guess? I read, I read somewhere that he was doing a life gain deck, and he was just sitting there, staying alive. Um, mm. And there was three people ganging up on a prism or one other one other person. I'm not sure. It, was, it sounded like it was kind of a riot. And one of the guys that James played with had a full Rudy deck, so a full oh boy, forty card slabbed deck. There's a, there's a video running around on Twitter with the head judge saying, yep, I'm going to make it legal because the Rudy uh, card is a, a classic constructed hero. So it looked it looked pretty funny. And it was a giant, you know, foot and a half stack of cards. It was pretty pretty ridiculous. That, 
that is out of control. I do believe the head judge was Fred, by the way. And oh, was it? He will, he will be a judge on this podcast. <laughs> I will make sure of that. Make sure. Good. Awesome. Yeah. So that 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 is awesome. Um, and that's a really good segue into the next article, which is a specific guide to the side events at Pro Tour Baltimore. Of course, at the time of this podcast, Pro Tour Baltimore has already passed, but side events are a great way to experience, say, card convention like a calling or Pro Tour in the future. I, I really enjoy side events, competing for tickets, going for the big prize wall um, rewards. I mean, Shay, do you... Do you also like side events, or do you prefer to play in the the main event? I like them all. Um, I think, you know, if, again, if you're not super competitive and you don't want to play in a calling, that you can just walk into the the venue and uh, join a couple of side events. Like you said, and earn some tickets for some prizes this is a nice way to get into the competitive scene. Um, and they're they're great when if you're you know not doing well in the major events, you can go play around in some more casual events and i bet that while baltimore has already passed i bet these side events will stay around in the future because it's commoner shapeshifter sealed and ultimate pit fight which are only picking up more and more steam as more people try to play those formats like i i hear all the time about how fun shapeshifter sealed is and now that upf is getting some more support i think we're gonna see those as mainstay side events and if I can get to another major event, I think it'll be fun to join in some of those side events that I don't necessarily play in at all. Yeah, and the more casual format side events sometimes have more flat prizing uh, compared to something like a Blitz or a classic constructed side event, which may be structured such that it is quite top-heavy, so there's a little bit more pressure to, to do well. To perform, yeah. But... Yeah, we've, we've seen sometimes the commoner, the shapeshifter sealed, those types of events be a little bit more flat, like flat number of tickets per win or something like that, just to keep it a little bit more balanced and, and to further take the pressure off of uh, these events, which, which is great for someone casual, someone tagging along with a friend that's playing in the main event, or just anyone that's, that's looking to drop in and, and have a good time. I know people that go to events just to to play in side events. In Indy, did you get a chance to play in any side events? I did. I was only judging Saturday and Sunday. So on Friday, I, I got to play in a couple side events. I played in a Shapeshifter Sealed, which was absolutely lovely. I lost to two other people that were judging with me uh, on Sunday <laughs> or on Saturday and Sunday, which was a riot. That That format is awesome. Nice. And I, I do think uh, Dorinthia Kadachi is is quite powerful, as is Rob Binklove, also very powerful as a two for four. You yep. get a lot of trash yellows in, <laughs> in in Shapeshifter, but I I think it would be fun uh, to run as a, a casual tournament locally. Uh, just to mix things up a little bit, and then I also got to got to play in a, a monarch sealed as well. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, it, it it was great. I love side events. I I would heavily encourage if if you're going to a competition and someone's tagging along, 
a significant other, a friend, don't be intimidated. It's, it's no different than playing in an armory almost, except you're going to meet new people. It's not going to be the same people. It's casual rules enforcement level. And hey, you, you could win something special that you can only get at the, the prize wall. Our friends in Baltimore brought home a Frost Hex playmat that many of us are very jealous of. And I, I hate to rub salt in the wound here, Shay. <laughs> I know you're a big Icelander player. Yeah. Yeah, when I saw that mat at Worlds, and it was a one-of, man, I was trying to figure a way to get it from, from them, but it wasn't attainable at the time, and I'm a little sad that you can now get it, and I was just at the wrong event at the wrong time. And I, So, I don't know, I'll have to just pry it out of Justin's hands, I think, when he's not looking. <laughs> that is a gorgeous mat. Uh, unbelievable I am, piece of art. I am very jealous. Moving on. Uh, the next part of the article is embracing RNG with uh, right time gaming. What do you think about the high risk, high reward, more variant in card games? So this is a very interesting question. And one of the reasons why I believe that card games are popular is because someone can draw hot, someone can run hot, and someone can draw dead. Uh, if I play chess against Magnus Carlsen, I have a 0% chance of winning. Um, unless he has a medical emergency, which I do not <laughs> wish upon him in any way. Um, but if I play a card game against the top card game player in the world, I have a non-zero chance of winning. Um, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to say I have a 10% chance sure. or 20 yeah. or 30 or 5 into Michael Hamilton, but it's not zero because he can just draw all his blues and die. Yep. Um, and I can draw all the best hands. So I recognize that this is a huge part of the appeal of card games. But one thing that I don't know is for a specific new player how much is being able to high roll someone and win a game going to attract them to a game for someone like me i'm not as much about the high rolling but i know for some other people even some locals say they love rolling they love high rolling they love doing 30 damage turn one in blitz and that's what keeps keeps them up at night uh, gleefully um <laughs> tapping their fingers together, thinking about when they're going to do that again. Um, I think it's great that games have that kind of appeal. I mean, I what do you think, Shay? This is a very complicated topic. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I think it's good. Um, and I think it takes a certain understanding of for that person to is why they're playing the hero that has that high variance. So are you, like you said, are you doing it just to roll dices and hit sixes all day and just make it the most ridiculous game but then you also take it in stride when you roll those ones and those twos and that's fine um and i, I also agree that when um, somebody new comes in that maybe this is a way to introduce them into the game to give them maybe a random better shot at performing well but maybe not necessarily something that's going to grab people's attention because it is so random yeah and even further, there's an argument out there that something like Starvo was good for attracting players to the game because Starvo was a hero that was somewhat RNG heavy or very RNG heavy 
depending on your perspective and depending on the build, of course. Yeah. And a, a, a player could pick up the deck, run hot, and win a pro quest, for example. And I'm not sure how I feel about that argument, but it's it's out there. And I don't know. What do, what do you think about that? From a, a be able to win standpoint, for somebody, again, picking it up, I think it's fine. I don't have an issue with it. I do have a bit of an issue with being able to just grab the deck a day before and high roll six or seven, eight games and just win a tournament. Um, it kind of it's a feels bad to the people that have been putting in weeks and weeks of practice on specific heroes and matchups to just lose because there's literally nothing you can do because your opponent just draws god hands all day long. That's kind of what I think where I'm at with it. So I'm kind of I'm glad he's gone, but I, I get his appeal. I never played him. I I feel the same way as you. Again, just imagine I play I sit down to play chess against Magnus and all my pawns are queens. Hey, I won. That's uh, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of that's Starvo for yeah. you, right? I played Starvo. I can say that. Should we move into the next bit? Yeah, and that's just the link to the retailer news. And many people might not know that there's a whole other section of the Flesh and Blood website that gives retailer news. And this is where you can sometimes get a sneak peek of different events. For example, the Road to Nationals events got published to the retailer side before they showed up on the main side. And... Similar to that, the, there was a casual play article that made it to the player's side that we just went through. But there's an accompanying article that was actually linked within the article that we were just talking about that's dedicated to retailers. And Shay, I mean, there, there's a pretty good introduction paragraph or a couple of paragraphs there. I mean, can, can you read out your, your favorite couple sentences from there? So I think one of my favorite lines is at the start of the second paragraph where they look at how they can provide a more official, organized play support for the casual people. As we've talked about before, a base level of casual players is extremely important to the longevity of a game. So finding ways to attract those casual people I think is really good. And here locally we've been, you know, tossing around ideas of what we could do to help that. And it's really good to see that LSS is coming out with an uh, active game plan just reading this article in conjunction with the one published in the main page is is really gives me a good lift because uh i i i see the efforts that that are being put into into cultivating these these important players and this this very important side of the game this article is really good a company piece to the keeping a casual article because it gives a bit more in depth as to like what upf is shapeshifter sealed but it also touches on the armory kit guidance which has some really positive points in there what do you think yeah the armory kit guidance is really great because well first of all armory kits are a great thing that lss does for stores they they should be giving it out for free from what i understand or or at a minimal cost to cover shipping from the distributor and this is something that is given out to players in exchange for participating and sometimes for doing well at the armory events. Um, at, I understand some communities may have some issues with a small number of skilled players 
just gobbling up all of the the top prizes, like the promos, uh, week after week. And just the the guidance provided here gives stores that wish to an option to offer out those cold foil prizes as random prizes instead of prizes to the top place players. And I think that's just something great to offer to stores if this is a problem that, that they see within the community, if, if there's if there's some top heaviness uh, that's leading to some players getting shut out of those prizes. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the, this article, the, the go-ahead, the green light to basically distribute the some of the prize kit as the uh, store feels, primarily through random draw. But that's okay. I like that. It's a green light. Yeah, and, and LSS has always provided some support to community builders, leaders, or just random prizing with the People's Champion playmats. And a lot of times I think those playmats are the most prized part of those armory kits. So they, are, they were already doing something great and in, over and above offering these promos and everything for us for free. But, but now this is even more. And and I'm I'm really really excited about this change. I've seen the excitement that can come over a newer player when they get one of those cold foils. They're great. They're great flexes. They could be for the hero that they're interested in learning because they're usually from a new set that could attract more of the newer players. And yeah, it's 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 a great move. It it makes me very very excited that that we're, we're getting this type of guidance. Going back to the, the people's champion playmat, we, we have had a few people in our community that have sat down at a table for weeks, months, with no playmat, just waiting for their chance to get one. And it's really exciting and awesome to see that the next time they come to an armory, they have that mat in front of them. You know, It's important to them because they came to events and played until they eventually got one, whether they win it or they get it as part of the, the giveaway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said earlier, there's some talk about different casual play formats like UPF, Commoner, and Shapeshifter Sealed, in addition to Blitz Preconstructed, uh, Team Sealed, and Team Constructed, and Welcome Deck. I mean, Shay, do you have any favorites among those formats? Do you have anything that you don't like as much? I haven't played Team Sealed, but I would like to play play that. That, again, sounds like a really fun and engaging format to sit down oh yeah open a bunch of packs because who doesn't like opening packs and discuss amongst discuss amongst your team on how you want to you know build certain heroes or, or decks for for that tournament i don't know i that just sounds like a lot of fun what about you anything appealing in there for me i really love team constructed as a format and i i think even to the perspective of a player that is just getting into the game and maybe has some kitchen table experience playing with a friend but is not quite confident enough yet or feels like they're not confident enough to to go to an armory and play one-on-one against someone else something like a team format even like a 2v2 two-headed giant format if you and a friend or you and your significant other or something like that want to go up against another pair just having someone sitting beside you, making sure that you're making reasonable plays and to help you out if you're in a bind is really great. So I, I'm a big advocate of team formats for 
for being a great, uh, gentle entry into, into playing at an LGS, playing in an armory. So big, big fan of that and, and happy that, that this is being supported. That's something I never really thought about team formats being a more comfortable environment to bring in new players. That's, that's a really good thought. Yeah. Well, that's, that's it for the two articles there. I, I guess any closing thoughts there? Again, these two articles, I, I was very, very happy to read them both casual play and, and being very friendly to new players and growing a great community are all very important to both of us. I know, um, I'm just over the moon that, that we're getting this kind of support and that this has the attention of LSS. What do you think, Cher? Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, think we covered it extensively. I don't really have much more to add. All right. Moving into our next topic, the pro tour just ended, uh, this last weekend here. And what do you think about how it went down? What an amazing event. It looked absolutely awesome. The stream was awesome. Amazing reviews from our friends that that did manage to go. And I am incredibly jealous of, of them all. What do you think? So super proud of them. Uh, while nobody did extremely amazing, like making a top eight or anything like that, they all put up, I think, really good uh, results for, you know, how small our community is and how limited we are in the competitive field. Madison went, what was it, five and three at the calling for, he only picked up the game a handful of months ago. Uh, yep. So I, I thought that was really impressive and super proud of our friends for how they did. I think he also had a win and into top eight at the Battle Hardened as well. He, he, he could have joined you as a... Uh, a battle hardened <laughs> top eight competitor from Calgary, but uh, yes. for now you stand alone in that category. I guess, but yeah. it's it, it's not all about results, and and that's that's one thing that um, that we emphasize a lot on this podcast. It looked like a great time. A lot of signed cards coming back here to to Calgary. Uh, Frost Hex play mat coming back, which Shay will be very jealous of in particular. Yeah. A lot of great photos. Man, it, it just looked like a blast. And the production value was super high. Yeah, seeing some of the guys with their photos with like the Vizarai and uh, Dash and whoever else they took photos with. Th those events are so much fun and they have so much going on. Yeah. And I am in particularly very jealous about not being able to go. Also, it, it, was, it was great to see a lot of interesting plays. I mean, the, the level of skill on display was so high. Um, I was so impressed when I saw a couple of those plays on the stream, I immediately hit you up there and, and we, we actually made a bit of a, a rules video on our YouTube channel. If anyone hasn't checked that out yet, uh, just a, a couple pretty cool interactions that maybe don't come up as much, but were very relevant when they did come up on, on stream. Um, yeah, very, very impressive games. And, and the top eight, absolutely nail-biting as well. Some absolute masterclass games there. I was, I was nailed to my seat. There were, like with any event, there were some calls and a little bit of chatter online just about why certain calls were made or why a penalty was given or not given. But one thing that Shay and I are never going to do on this podcast is comment about why 
a specific ruling was given or wasn't given or was something fair or unfair. The judges at the event have so many variables to consider and so much information and it's it's so easy for one side of a story to get out and and people to, to think one thing or another. We, we do understand that there were a couple disqualifications a little bit higher up, at least one that I can think of a little bit higher up and definitely not going to comment on on those. It's it, it's just something that happens during during a tournament. That somber note aside, definitely a, a big shout out and hats off to the the judge team who who kept by by all accounts that, that I could see the the event running very smoothly, relatively on time. The the effort and the hard work and the the sweat <laughs> that goes into doing that for a big event like this is is no small feat at all. Uh, so, do you have any closing closing thoughts or interesting items to go over this week? Steve? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you talking about the random topic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the random topic. Why are you throwing this on me? Like everyone's gonna say like you don't talk and I I just hog all all the talk. No, you you. You need to share something, my friend. Well, that, that about wraps it up for the Pro Tour. Before we sign off for the day, Shay, tell me something interesting. Well, I don't know if it's interesting. We were talking about earlier, I've been playing a, a video game called Archmage, Archmage Rises. It's a throwback to old mm -hmm. school um, 3D dungeon RPG games that I'm having a lot of fun with. Um, but what we were talking about, I actually kind of wanted to give a shout out to Adam Philchuk. Um, we've been talking a lot over the Pro Tour, and he's been giving me a lot of advice and help on how to level up my game, because um, there's definitely some things that I have been struggling with, and I reached out to him, and he's been super forthcoming with a lot of information and a lot of help, and I really appreciate his time. So that's that's my interesting item. Yeah, so definitely shout out to, to him, and... As, as much as we like to rag each other, rag on each other between Calgary and, and Edmonton when it comes to things like the performance of our relative sports teams or our the performance of our respective local scenes when it comes to our Alberta tournaments, we do tend to come together when it comes to the large tournaments and punching up against the more established scenes. And Adam is is a gem of a person and... They all are. Everybody yeah. is. We have no complaints in our community. Yep. But when it comes to your your video game choice, you mentioned that's old school, and I, I just have to ask you, is old school best? Not necessarily. Um, I think things that were in the, the past that were exciting were fun and exciting in that time, and as we've moved on, We've progressed in what is good, and our ideas of what is good has changed. So I think they can be, but it's not always best. That is an excellent answer. And I completely <laughs> agree. Whenever I hear anyone saying everything was better back in the old days, I just I would like to challenge them to pick up an N64 controller and play GoldenEye and hit anything, and then get back to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> No, that, that's awesome. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. I think, yeah, no worries. I think we're getting yeah. close to time here. So let's wrap her up.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of the IP2 Podcast. You can find us on our socials at IP2 Podcast on Twitter, IP2 Podcast at Wraith.social on Mastodon, and IP2 Podcast on YouTube. Thanks for joining us. Can, can you read out your, your favorite couple sentences from there? Sure can. Let me find something. <laughs>